we enter this Lenten season, I want to kind of tell you where we're going. Um, during the month of March, we will finish out um, the eighth chapter of this Romans text. And then in um, April, as we get into the April month and Palm Sunday and Easter and so on, we're going to be in John's Gospel for all of April. And then we will come back in May and pick back up with the ninth chapter and continue this uh, sermon series in Romans. But the reason that I wanted to, uh, instead of switching gears during the month of March, is um, we're actually, it just falls perfectly to finish this chapter. And this chapter has so much impact uh, when we think about Lent, when we think about actually um, uh, looking at ourselves, self-denial, looking at self-examination as we, we go through this text. And um, today is going to be the middle sermon. There's three more following this to end this particular chapter. And it's one of the great tra- chapters in the New Testament. With that said, um, most of you, if not all of you, know that Terry and I have nine children. And one of those nine children um, is adopted, my son Chris. He's going to turn 37 March the 25th. And so um, it was Good Friday in 1985 that we received that call. I was in Alabama. We were in the midst of moving from South Carolina to Alabama. And I got that call, and when I picked up the phone and my secretary said, um, your wife's on the other end of the line, and uh, the first words out of her mouth is, we have a baby. Now, I've told some of you about uh, what happened in South Carolina, uh, but I don't know that I have said what happened after uh, that Tuesday following Easter Sunday that we picked up Christopher uh, in South Carolina, and two days later, we went back to Alabama, where I had been transferred with my job. And so... It, all the paperwork, had we been in, in, in South Carolina, uh, that would have been very kind of easy to everything to be processed after that for the adoption. But because we were moving from South Carolina to Alabama, there was a lot more that had to be dealt with. And so social wor- worker came, and every month that social worker came for a year. Uh, she interviewed our friends. She came and interviewed my coworkers. She looked at our finances. She would talk to our neighbors to see if we were caring for Christopher properly for a whole year. Any time during that year, they could have said, mm, I don't think so. But at the end of that year, we got to go to the courthouse in Lauderdale County outside of uh, Florence, Alabama, and um, went before a judge. And the judge signed the official document that said Christopher was ours. My son. He got my name. He was heir to anything at that point that I owned. I was responsible for him 
as never before. And he was also responsible to me for respect and living into the son that God had called him to be. Now, being an adopted son in 1958, myself, and being raised with parents that I never looked at any other way than my mom and dad, I was often asked, why didn't I go and seek out my biological mom and dad? And I never had a desire to do that. I had a mom and dad. They were DeFells, Jack and Irene DeFell. And from the moment that I held Christopher in my arms, he was my son. And I have never, in 37 years, looked at him as anything but my son. Now, I say that to just give you this image of father and son because as we move forward now in Romans 8 there's a powerful message in these verses 12 through 17 about father and child and and I use son because Christopher's a male he's my son but had I adopted a daughter it would not have been any different and so we are as believers sons and daughters of the father of God. Let your mind just resonate around that, that you are a child of God. Listen to what Paul says in these verses, beginning with verse 12. So then, brethren, you are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For you are living according to the flesh, you will die. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, and heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that, so that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds this morning for what you would hold for us through this, your holy word. We pray this in your name. Amen. I have said in the last two sermons of this particular chapter that Romans 1 uh, has to be one of those great verses, uh, if not of the New Testament, certainly 
uh, or not of the whole Bible, certainly of the New Testament. Therefore, there is no condemnation in those that are in Christ Jesus. And following that ver first verse in Romans, everything else tells us why there is no condemnation for us that are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In verses 1 through 4, he tells us there's no condemnation because we are no longer under the law. There is no condemnation from the law. In verses 5 through 11, he tells us that we have been delivered from the flesh, that we no longer have to live in the worldly flesh, that we live in the spirit, as we talked about last week. And in these verses now, in 12 through 17, he tells us there is no longer condemnation in us because we are children of God. God has adopted us. We are part of his family. Uh, there is no longer judgment against us. As I mentioned last week, we are vindicated. We are uh, his, and there is um, uh, no reason that God would look at us now that we have been not only saved, but he is our Lord that he looks at us as righteous and whole through his son who died and rose for us, who gives us life. And so Paul helps us to understand in these verses that we are children of God. And because there is no condemnation through Christ Jesus, those who are in Christ Jesus, that we are children of God. This morning, I want to give you five reasons why Paul would say that in these verses. The first is, we are children of God because we do not live like non-Christians. Verse 12 says, So then, brothers, we have obligation not to the flesh but to live according, and not to live according to the flesh. In some of the verses you, or versions you have, it may have debtors there or debts. And, um, and so we are no longer debtors to God because of what Jesus has done for us. We do not live as non-Christians. And as you look at this chapter and the chapters before, we see that over and over again, Paul uses the term flesh to, to refer to non-Christians. And he uses the Spirit or Holy Spirit talking about those that have come to faith, those that are in Christ Jesus. And so Paul points here that we are debtors. Uh, we no longer live as the non-Christians of the world. We no longer have goals of this world. We no longer uh, seek what this world has to offer. Our goal, our uh, very desire is to live into what God has called us to be, God has called us to do. And we live into the principles that God has given us in his holy world, uh, word, and not by the world's standards. Now, often we say the great motivator of the Christian life is gratitude. In other words, we don't obey God in order for God to love us. We obey God because he has loved us and what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. You see, God initiated the love in us. God initiated that motivation for us. God has called us to righteous relationship with him. 
And because he has called us, and because he has chosen us, and because he has given us his spirit, this indwelling spirit, we have the motivation. In fact, as Paul says, we have an obligation to live in, to be in a child of God, and not live like non-Christians. Secondly, we are children of God because we kill sin. And you say, well, that sounds interesting. Verse 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is paradoxical. Think about it this way. Paul is saying that sinful living always separates us into death. But then he says, putting sin to death gives us life. Sinful living leads to death. Putting sin to death leads to life. And so Paul presses home here. He's indicating that this work of sanctification in us is a process. This work of sanctification is part of the work that we do. You see, when he says, you... You are living according to the flesh. You must die. But then he says, but you are putting to death the deeds of the body. And if you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So he is mortification. Great word. Putting sin to death is the way that would be defined in Scripture. And so Paul is saying that this is a sign for us, that this is a sign as children of God, that if we are putting sin to death, if the deeds of this world are not so important to us that we put them to death, we no longer live by the deeds of this world or the uh, means of this world, but we live within the Spirit. And the Spirit is working in us so that we will be what God intends for us to be. So listen, when we talk about putting sin to death, we think, well, wait a minute, that's very difficult. I'm, I'm just human, I'm just living in this world. How in the world am I going to put sin to death? And Paul tells us, it's by the Spirit. You see, we aren't in this alone. He's given us his Spirit to fight against, to have this warring against the sin of this world. And so he has placed his spirit in us to help us. If you read through the uh, narrative of John 4, 14, 15, 16, you see all the time that he uses this word helper, that I will send the helper to be with you, to be in you. And this helper is going to help us in fighting this war against the flesh. So we're not in it alone. We have the help of the Holy Spirit. So as we look at this verse, we see Paul doing three things. He says, first, you are to put, you are to put to death sin. You are to be about putting the practices of the flesh to death. So we have a part to play. And then he reminds us that this resource that we have is from the Holy Spirit that we can tap into, have the power, the resource of the Spirit to help us battle the flesh. And then thirdly, he reminds us, if you do this, 
if you put to death sin, if you tap into the power of the Holy Spirit, he then says, you will live. You will have the fullness of eternal life. You will have the fullness of the kingdom, not only here, but in the life to come, that we are children of God. Now, in this, someone could say, I hear some works righteousness here, and that's not anywhere true. We, as we work with the Holy Spirit after salvation, we are, as Paul says, working out our salvation in the Lord. We are growing, we are connecting, we are living into what God has called us to be. It's not works salvation or works righteousness or even works sanctification in any way. He is pointing to the unbreakable peace that we have in tapping into the spirit that lives in us so that we are putting sin to death. It brings us into new life, and it reminds us that we are children of God. Third, we are children of God because we are led by the spirit. In verse 14... Very clear, Paul says, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. So how are we sons of God? We are being led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is working in us. The Spirit of God is helping us to grow. The Spirit of God is coming alongside of us. The Spirit of of God is giving us evidence that we are true children now, I have had people say to me, well, I don't feel the, very, the Spirit working in me the way I think that uh, some of the super Christians, those who live this super life as a Christian, um, I see people who I think maybe are, are, are sinless. Um, probably not, but we often see, we would see someone like that and think, well, they're just so much better than I am. How in the world would the very Spirit of God that lives in me do the same as in that person? And Paul reminds us here, all Christians, not just one, not just a super Christian, not just the one that uh, maybe is living into the call that God has called them to in, in some special way, he is not pointing to that at all. He is saying all All Christians, all those who are followers, genuine followers, are led by the Spirit of God. And it's not just for a moment. It's not just for a moment. But it's constantly. And that's the second thing, is that we are uh, constantly, as you will see here, governed. I think it's an A on on your bulletin, but it says that we are led Uh, or governed by the Spirit of God constantly. Sometimes I think we feel like that there are times when the Spirit may leave us or the time when the Spirit may not be there in such a way that we feel it like we do in other times. Um, Maybe we have our hand up, as I've said before, and just say, you know, I can handle this, God. When I need you, come alongside, give me the strength that I need. But Paul is reminding us here that The Holy Spirit is with us constantly, every day, in every situation. Regardless how 
deep that valley is or how high you are on the mountain or anywhere in between, God is going to walk with you and God is going to be with you. And you, as being led by the Holy Spirit, means that he is walking with you daily. As you walk the trail, he doesn't take a veer off to the the right or the left. He stays with you all along, constantly leading you. We are led by the Spirit and primarily corrected, not protected. And some might say in their mind right now, what? We're not protected by the Spirit? In this text, Paul does not in any way talk about protection, but he does talk about correction. And what happens is is that the, the Holy Spirit will convict us and correct us as we live out this life, as he walks with us daily. John 16 reminds us that we are convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit. That's one of the roles that John tells us in the 16th chapter that the Holy Spirit has in our life. And that conviction is to make us more like Christ, to bring us more into a righteous relationship. But we're not protected. We're not protected from suffering, as we will see in verse 17. We're not protected from the ills of this world, from the disease of this world. Christ is with us. The Holy Spirit walks with us in every aspect of that as believers. But Jesus himself said we would face trials, hardships, and heartaches. And the Holy Spirit would come alongside and comfort us. He didn't say he would protect us from those ills and trials. But he would walk with us. He would be there to help us live in and through those trials. And as we will see in verse 17, it is to the glory of God. How many times have we gone through trials and we've been so succumbed by all that we are facing and it's hard for us to even picture not only that I am a son or daughter of God, but that through this God is asking me to glorify him. When we lean into the Spirit, we're actually able in the midst of the trial to give God the glory that he is due. And it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that leads us to the next. Those that are led by the Spirit are empowered by him. God does not only give us the Holy Spirit to guide us, but he empowers us as we're walking that Uh, mountain journey, we're going through that treacherous pass, Uh, we may be facing hardships, Um, God empowers us from within to be able to face those things in our life that are tough, that are hard to face, even difficult beyond measure. But it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that empowers us, led by the Spirit, to be and say, I am a child of God. Those led by the Spirit are transformed by the Spirit. When God gives us his Holy Spirit, when God transforms us as we come to faith in him, it's not just part of us. If we're hanging on to a piece of us, if, if we are saying, I'll give you all of, well, I'll give you some, I don't think I'm going to give you this piece, then we have not totally surrendered or come to faith in Jesus Christ. 
Because when the Holy Spirit comes into us, he transforms all of us. The Holy Spirit comes into us and says, you are God's. You belong to my Father. You are his. And that is who you are. And so we are transformed by the Spirit as we're led by the Spirit. And then finally, this led by the Spirit leads us into spirit or leads us in the way of truth. The Holy Spirit never leads anyone against the Word of God. And I want to say that again. The Holy Spirit will never lead you against the Word of God. It will never lead you against the will of God. The Holy Spirit will never lead you against the truth of God. And so when someone comes to me and says, well, I believe this particular part of the Bible, but I don't believe this particular part of the Bible, I start to question. You can say, well, you're not supposed to be in judgment. I don't judge anyone to hell or heaven. It's not my, my thing to do. But I will tell you that when you begin to question God's word and you actually say that this part of God's word is not truth and this part is, then I would question whether the Holy Spirit is living in you because the Holy Spirit will never cause you to go against God's word and his truth. And so those that are led by the Spirit are led in the way of truth. And so Paul reminds us here that this indwelling Spirit, that this Spirit that leads us, that we can claim as followers of Jesus Christ that we are his children and that we are growing and desiring to live more like Christ, to be changed into the likeness of Christ, to love Christ more than anything else. Toby Mac has a song, Made in Love. He, I am made in love, but the title of the song is Made in Love, if you wanted to listen to it. And in that song, he says, I give up, I will give up anything for the Lord. And I will give everything to the Lord. Think about that. I will give up anything for the Lord, and I will give everything to the Lord. And this is what Paul is calling us to do. This is what the scripture is telling us, that we are to be so totally sold out for Christ. That Fourth, we are children for God, is that we are adopted by God. This is one of the great verses. I love this verse because of the way it reads, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, as daughters, and we cry out, Abba, Father. Can you imagine, can you even think that we are able to call the creator of the universe our Father? that we're able to call the creator of everything that there is our Father, that we are adopted by him, that we belong to God? Have you thought about it in those terms, that he has adopted 
you and me. In this adoption process, while today there are certainly legal aspects of adopting a child today, it was much that way in the first century. And Paul had to be thinking a little bit about the standards of adoption. And many of those who would adopt, whether it was a Roman or whether it was an Israelite or whomever in that time, um, if they did not have a male son that they could have as an heir, often they would look and see if there was a child that they could adopt. And they would adopt a child, a teenager, even there's cases of where they would adopt an adult so that they would have a male heir to them. And so the father would say, I want to proceed in this formal, illegal adoption. And there had to be seven witnesses to witness to the adoption of the time. And here is what would happen as the adoption would take place. First, the child received a new name and was instantly the heir of all that the father had. Secondly, his legal obligations, um, his debts were canceled. Third, the father instantly became liable for all the son's actions, all the crimes, and so on. And then fourth, the new son had an obligation to honor and to please his new father. Now, as Paul was thinking about this, maybe Paul was thinking about when God adopts us as sons and daughters, we receive a new name. Our name is Christian. We are Christians in this adopted family of God's. Secondly, our legal obligations, our debts in the flesh were canceled by what Jesus did for us on the cross. Third, our Father in heaven is liable for us. And what I mean by that, he has given us his spirit to lead us and guide us and to convict us. And so he is liable for our actions now. And then finally, folks, we have an obligation, as that 12th verse says. We have an obligation to honor, to glorify, to please our Father in heaven for what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. We are adopted into the family of God. He is our Father. How awesome is that? That we can cry out, Abba, Father. And God hears us every time we cry out to him, the God of the universe. And then finally, we are children of God because of the assurance by the Holy Spirit this verse 16 and 17 is a reminder of whose we are. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. Think about that. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children of God, we are heirs, fellow heirs with one another, with what Christ has done. But Paul adds a caveat here. He says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so in this, we first see that the spirit and our spirit is in tune together, working together. 
into who God has called us to be. And so we bear witness in this world. Others should be able to see through our words and deeds of whose we are. But not only that, but the Spirit bears witness of whose we are, that we are children of God. And then he says, but just remember, there is going to be some suffering, and that suffering will bring glory to God. A Puritan once said this, God has one son without sin, but he has none without suffering. Think about that. God has one son without sin, but none, no sons, no daughters without suffering. Paul's point is to remind us that we are so united with Christ, that we are so in tune with what God has called us to be. We are living into what God has desire for us to be as we live out our life in this world. That regardless of what comes, regardless of what we face, that we want to bring God glory in all things, in all ways, as the Spirit bears witness that we are heirs, sons and daughters with God. There's a church in Northern California, and it has portraits in the foyer area. As you walk down the halls, and many of you have been in these mega churches where uh, the, the, the gathering area, as they call it, is as big as the sanctuary, or some cases bigger. And so this particular church, this mega church, has these pictures on the wall, has pictures of Socrates and Eleanor, Eleanor Roosevelt and Abraham Lincoln and Gandhi and Jesus and others. And they have gold letters, huge gold letters under these portraits. And underneath the portraits, this is the way it reads. And we are all children of God. Now, I'm sure that people that walk by those portraits and they see those wonderful gold letters on the wall, they marvel about the universality of the brotherhood of man. But here's the problem. The universal brotherhood of man and the universal fatherhood of God is a lie. The golden letters quote only half of a verse. You see, they left off the qualifying statement. When you look at Galatians 3.26, which they are quoting, this is how the whole verse reads. We are all children of God through faith in Jesus, in faith in Christ Jesus. You see, they left that qualifying piece out that through faith in Christ Jesus, we are all children of God. Faith in Jesus Christ assures us that there is no condemnation in those that are in Christ Jesus the Lord. Those who have faith in Jesus Christ are assured, as the scripture here tells us, that we are children 
of God. We can trust God's promises that they are forever and amen for those who believe. We believe as children of God that by God's grace and by his mercy, we are found in him. And it is because of that that we can cry out, Abba, Father. My son Christopher's adoption was finalized in a Fort Lauderdale courthouse, signed by a judge. And the judge looked at me and he said, he is now your son. And we celebrated. And we cried. And we took our son home. When Jesus cried, it is finished on the cross. God the Father said, and now for all who believe will become my sons and my daughters. Through my son, who gave his life for all. And if I was to leave it there, I too would be incomplete for all who believe. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are a son or daughter, and you have every right and should in every way cry out, Abba, Father. Because that's the way he sees you as a son or a daughter. Thanks be to God for what he has done. Our Father in heaven, through his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for adopting us. We are not worthy. We fail you in so many ways. We continue to sin against you even as you have saved us. And Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that you have given us to convict us and guide us and empower us and to lead us. We thank you, Father, that you correct us and that you are constantly with us as we walk with you as sons and daughters. Father, this morning, we thank you for the cross of Christ on this first Sunday of Lent. And I pray, Father, this morning that all of us would examine ourselves. We would look and see if there is anything that we are holding back or anything that we are not confessing or anything that is standing in our way of loving you and loving others. And that we, Father, would confess and repent of that and allow your Holy Spirit to lead us in the ways of truth and righteousness for your namesake so that you would be glorified in all that we do. Father, I pray if there is anyone in the hearing of my voice that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that they would surrender their life to you. Father, that your wooing would be such that they would surrender and call you Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you have done. 
And we look forward to what you're going to do as we walk with you as sons and daughters of the cross. We pray this in your name. Amen.